Today, session number five, page 77 in our series, Managing Our Money God's Way. You see at the top of page 77, the title is God's Solution to Debt. So today's lesson is all about taking steps to get out of debt. And the beginning portion, the first two pages, 77 and 78, are nine things to do to get out of debt. So nine things is a lot, and then there are four things in addition to that on the next couple of pages for you to take into consideration. So let's jump into that then with the first of the nine things that we're to do if we desire to get out of debt, which undoubtedly includes every one of us, every one of us here. The goal you have for doing these nine things is D-Day. The goal is debt-free day. So you want to and I want to look forward to a time where we can call it D-Day. We're debt-free. But as you think about the debts that you have right now, you say, how will I ever get there? And one of the things that immobilizes people toward taking action on any sort of project is the thing is too big. And you've experienced that, haven't you? It's just too big. And so you think about the enormity of the thing, you know, cleaning out the garage. Holy cow. I, I remember feeling this last year. And it was just too big a job that I just decided that I'll never get it done, so I never did it. So this year it's even worse than it was last year. And you can apply that to any project you want. And you've had that sort of sinking feeling that just demotivates you, takes the takes the energy out of you because you look at it and you say, it's just too big. But the truth is, you know this and I know this, that I cannot make any dent into that project, into that thing, unless I take the first nibble, the first steps. So you have to do it. You really do have to do it one step at a time, one bit at a time. It's the only way to do it. I felt that myself when I am faced with an enormous project of whatever type, whether it's housework, church stuff, it doesn't matter. And I felt that energy just just dissipate as you say, it's just too large, I'll never, I'll never get there. But I've had to learn the discipline to say, I've got to take the first step, I've got to take the first nibble and just chip away at it over time and then sure enough, lo and behold, a clean garage. It's amazing. So that's what you have to do. You, you're familiar with that. It's what I have to do. So at the very outset here, I'm just encouraging you to resolve to do that, to say, I'm going to take a bite at a time, a nibble at a time, even if the enormity, the mountain of debt is, is you're wondering, how did I ever get here? You can get out of it. But the only way you get out of it is start to dig a bit at a time, okay? So with that, what are the nine steps to getting toward D-Day, debt-free day? The first one is... Pray. First one is to pray. So you all, as Bible-believing Christians, you're sitting in church, the pastor says first thing you should do is pray, the screen says you should pray, you write down pray. But I wonder if it occurs to anybody at all, what should I be praying for? Pray is just one of those all-purpose spiritual words that you can throw out any time, and it, and it just fits. And so if you're in a crowd of Christians, you're in church, you know, if, if you don't know anything else to say, and somebody says, so what should we do? If you throw out pray, you'll be okay. You'll look spiritual, and there's ne that's never a wrong answer. 
But because it's never a wrong answer, it can also be a very indescript, nondescript answer, right? Because it can apply to, applies to everything. So what should I be praying? Okay, pray. But what should I be praying for? And you could give a lot of answers to that. You could say, well, I could be praying for the Lord to let me hit the lottery. And then I can get out of debt. It might not surprise you that that's not what I have in mind. Pray to hit the lottery. Or, you know, you might say, Lord, show me which of these crazy debts that I have in my life, which one of these do you want me to get rid of first? Now, that gets a little closer to, to home. But if you were to pray for something like that, how would God show that to you? I'm, I'm just asking you to think about it. How would God show that to you? You know, is he gonna is he gonna show? Is he gonna give you a sign? Are you gonna are you gonna put a fleece out before the Lord? You all know what I mean by that. Many people believe that's the way you make decisions. You you say, Lord, I have to make this big decision, and so I'm putting this fleece out now. Before I go on, where does the fleece idea come from? It comes from the book of Judges, where Gideon put a fleece out before the Lord, and Gideon said. Lord, if the, if the fleece is wet in the morning, I'll take one course of action. If it's dry, I'll take another course of action. But here's the problem with the whole fleece thing. One, you probably don't even have a fleece, number one. So that messes that up. But more importantly, Gideon was being disobedient to God when he did that. God had already told Gideon what to do. Gideon didn't want to do it. And so instead of saying, yes, Lord, I'll go to battle as you've told me, he says, I tell you what, Lord, I'll put this fleece out. And if you really mean it, then show it to me on this fleece. So the fleece thing is not a way for you to make decisions. But many Christians think it is. So when I say pray, some of you might say, well, I'm going to pray, Lord, show me. And the truth is the Lord doesn't, give extra biblical revelation to show you stuff. Now, do you know what I mean by extra biblical? Outside the Bible. Revelation. God doesn't reveal the day of... God revealed himself in Scripture. And you believe that, and I believe that. So the tool you have in order to know which course of action to take is in the pages of a book. It's not, Lord, show me this particular decision by a fleece or or giving me a good feeling about it sometimes we use the have peace about it you've heard that perhaps before you know it's the right decision if you feel a peace about it the bible does not teach that i have a whole course we did a few years ago on decision making in the will of god i encourage you to listen to that online that debunks all of those so the question then is what are you praying about you could be praying to say lord let me hit the lottery that's not what we're praying for. Lord, show me which of these debts. But when you ever, whenever you say, Lord, show me, you need to be very careful. Here's where the Lord has shown you. In the pages of Scripture. And here's what God tells you over and over again to ask for when you pray. You all remember James chapter 1 and verse 5? If anyone lacks, does anybody remember what it is? wisdom. Let him ask of God who gives to all everybody without regard to your station in life or who 
Whatever you're going through, God grants wisdom to those who ask. What should you pray for? You should pray, yes, but not just pray the all-purpose Christian word to throw in. That's never a wrong answer. But pray specifically for wisdom. Lord, grant me, grant my spouse, grant our family, grant our church, grant our president. Go down the list. Grant us wisdom. Now, what is that? Dr. McCune was with us last week. He preached during our 930 hour. If you were here, he was in Proverbs chapter 1. And he talked about, Proverbs chapter 1 talks about wisdom and a number of synonyms listed there in those first seven verses with regard to what wisdom is. Now here's just a folksy, Dr. McCune, as he is wont to do, gave a very theological definition of wisdom. Very good, as always, right. Here's my homey definition of wisdom. Wisdom is using what God has given for the purpose for which he gave it. That's what wisdom is. Using what God has given for its intended purpose. Wisdom then is skill. Ability to use something that God has provided as God has intended it to be used. That's what wisdom is. Well, in James chapter 1, where James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. What's the context there? Well, that's verse 5. Do you all remember verse 2? Famously, we read it in our 930 hour. My brothers, consider it pure joy when you fall into trials of various kinds because you know that the trying of your faith works patience. And patience will bring you to full maturity, James goes on to say. But then in verse 5, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. The context is trials. And I'm saying that wisdom is using what God has provided, using what God has given for the purpose for which he gave it. Now, if it's that, how does that fit that context, then, of trials? Well, guess who gives, guess who gives those trials? Guess who gives those circumstances? Guess who brings those circumstances into your life? I'm, anybody want to take a wild guess? This is another one of those answers that you're usually right on. If you say God, you've got a, at least a 50% shot. The sovereign God of the universe is the one who brings these circumstances into our lives that he intends to use to mature us. Wisdom, then, uses that trial, that circumstance, for the purpose that God intended it. So trials are provided, come to us from the hand of God for an ultimately good purpose. And we ask for wisdom, James chapter 1. Lord, help me now to use this trial, use this circumstance for your intended end. That's what the entire chapter is about. First 18 verses anyway are all about that. It says, do you all remember later in the chapter, let the brother, this is the King James, let the brother of low degree... Rejoice in that he is exalted. What's that mean? Let the one who is poor rejoice in the fact that God has placed him in these economic circumstances for an ultimately good end, if used wisely. goes on to talk about the rich man. Same thing. The rich person in these circumstances that God has placed him in should use those circumstances as intended. 
So in every circumstance, it is always good for you and for me to pray to God, Lord, grant me wisdom. Grant me the ability to use whatever you have provided. A circumstance, a blessing, a trial, whatever it is, for the purpose for which you gave it. And that's at the outset what we ask for when we're trying to get out of debt. Pray. Pray for what? Pray for wisdom, for yourself, for your spouse, for your entire family, that you will now use the information that God is providing through a series like this, use the material goods that God has provided, use everything that God has given to you from his hand for, the, for his intended purpose. Pray. Secondly, develop a debt-free mindset. Develop a debt-free mindset. And here's what, uh, here's what that means. If you're going to get out of debt then, pray that God will grant you wisdom. And, and, and begin to develop a way of looking at debt that says debt is really heinous. Debt is ugly. That's what I mean. That's what it means when it says a debt-free mindset. Change the way you look at debt. Debt's not okay. Change the way you think about it. As long as you think it's, it's okay, then it's going to be difficult for you to avoid. And it's going to be very difficult for you to make, take the hard measures to get out of the debt you're in. Develop a debt-free mindset, a different way of looking at debt. That's lousy. That's bad. Choose your own word. That's icky. Whatever Stay away from it. And you, and you have to think about it that way. I heard an illustration of somebody who said she tried for years, a lady who said she tried for years to lose weight. And she tried all the stuff and all the fads and all the stuff, and she, she didn't lose weight. She'd lose some weight, but then it never stayed off. And then she finally, she just had to change the way she thinks about it. And she began to think about uh, food differently particularly junk food and stuff she didn't, didn't need. She began to think about it differently. And she began to look at it as like poison. So she started training herself. When I see this stuff, think of a skull and crossbones. Hazard, this will kill you. Now, it doesn't work for everybody. I understand that. You know, cigarettes say right on them, this will kill you. Give me a carton. Right? I mean, that's what, that's what we do. But it should work, and for those of us that have prayed to God for, for wisdom, it will work if we will look at it differently. See it for what it is. Change the way you think about food. Change the way you think about debt. And my phrase is there, see it for what it is. It's harmful. It's bad. Now let me wax on that for a little bit more, and then we'll move on. I'm actually not going to spend this much time on all the rest of them. And you're saying, good, because we'll never get done. There's nine of them. But these first couple, I, really, I want to pound on a bit. Develop a debt-free mindset. That is, see debt for what it really is. See debt accurately. Change the way you think about debt. And might I add that this is a skill that Christians sorely need in every area of their life. That's just one of them. 
But the ability to be able to see things as they really are is something that many of us have not developed. We're having family camp in one, in one month. I get at least one time to talk to the parents that are there at family camp. I'm not sure if I'm talking one time or two times. But I know I get at least one shot. And we've done family camp twice. And my chat with the parents at family camp has become affectionately known as the pastoral beatdown. Because I sort of get caught up in the spirit sometimes when I'm talking about talking to parents about one of the most precious commodities that God has given us, our children. And the way we go about parenting them. And so last year I had some very direct things to say about that, some of you may recall. I'm not really in beat-down mode this year, so show up at family camp. But I do have some very important things to say to our parents, and it's related to this. Seeing things for what they really are. And seeing the things that are enticing your children for what they really are. And having the ability to see things that look harmless, see them for what they really are. And there are all kinds of things that we are foolishly, the opposite of wisely, using as intended. We parents are foolishly letting our kids go down the road on that we think are just fine, but they are taking them down a road that is going to hurt them. And so I just use that as an, yet another area, a huge area, parenting. And in every area of your life, you need, I need the ability to see things as they really are. Now there's a word for that. In the Bible, it's called discernment. Discernment. Christians desperately need the ability to see the difference. And that's discern means to see the difference. The difference between what is good and what's best. Now, did you all hear the way I said that? I didn't say what's heinous and lousy versus what's good. The ability to see what's good versus what is best. As a Christian, you want the best things. Not just stuff that's not inherently evil. I don't see any immediate harm to it, so kids go have a good time. But rather, I want the best things for my child. And any possibility that this good thing could lead my child down a road where I ultimately do not want them to go, we're going to pull back from. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9. Philippians 1 and verse 9. I'll read it to you, and then we'll move on. It's in the New Testament, right? Philippians 1, here's what Paul says. He tells the Philippians in the first chapter, I'm, I'm praying for you. I thank my God every time I remember you because of your partnership in the gospel. But then goes on to say, and this is my prayer, verse 9. Here's how I pray for you. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
Here's my prayer for you, that you may be able to discern what is, and he says, what's best. Discern means to see the difference. And often it's seeing the difference between what's good and what's better, what's best. And so if we're going to develop a debt-free mindset, you have to change the way you look at debt. That's bad. And there are better things for you to do with your money. And you have, if you begin to see it that way, you can make some real headway on reducing debt. All right, I can go quicker on the rest of these. Three, bottom of page 77, list all your debts. List all your debts. And then you note, see the note at the bottom of page 77, be sure to write down the interest rate on each debt. So list all your debts. You've got a, you know, three car payments, a summer home. I'm just making stuff up. You've got a mortgage on your house, you know, your second house. You've got, you know, the three cars. You've got a home equity loan. You've got credit cards. You've got the pennies revolving charge or, or whatever. But these are all debts. They've got things that got balances on them. And as you lay those out, put the interest rate because that will help you wisely Prioritize which of those you're going to pay off first. All right, page 78. List everything you own. List everything you own. Now, if you were paying attention a few weeks ago, listing everything you own shouldn't take long. Why? Because how, what do you really own? So really what it should say is, list everything you manage. Because who, I'm just reminding you, who owns it? God does. But list everything that God has entrusted to you to manage that we most often call owning. Is there something then on that list, you see the question, you could sell that you're not using? Use the money to pay off debt. List everything you manage. Fifthly, establish a spending plan. Establish a spending plan. And so it... it, it if nothing else, this shows you what you're spending your money on. So you're listing the stuff you're supposed to. So now you've got your debts laid out. You've got this different mindset toward debt. You've prayed for wisdom from the Lord. You've listed the stuff that you manage. But you also want to list the things you're spending on. And that allows you to ask yourself two important questions. You see them there? Can I do it for less? Now that I've identified I'm spending money on, can I do it for less? And do I really have to have this? So, can you live without cable TV? Can you live without a cell phone? I mean, can you live, okay, I should rephrase that. Can you live with a different cell phone? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Can you get like a pay-as-you-go job for emergencies then? Because immediately some of you are thinking, hey, it's a really good tool for emergencies, and I agree with that. But okay, then you don't need the $120 a month plan. You need the $9.99 plan that allows you to buy minutes, pay for minutes as you use them. Okay, and I'm just throwing out examples of stuff that we have, myself included, we've come to think of as indispensable to us. Cable, you got to be kidding Bro, I remember the rabbit ear days. I have had enough of the rabbit ears and the foil on the top of the thing, and trying to point it toward the station and, you know, trying to get Channel 50 in to watch the Red Wings. I remember all those days. 
But you know what? The truth of the matter is, if we have to, we could live without cable, couldn't we? And we could live without the cell phone plan we have now. And as you go through and you lay out what you're spending on, you could identify a number of those things that you and I can live without. Six, establish a repayment schedule, a repayment schedule then. And if you have been doing the homework that goes with these lessons, there's homework at the end of each of these. I encouraged you at the outset to do that. I remind you again to do that. And as part of the homework for this, there are actually forms to help you do everything we're talking about here, including a form to help you establish a repayment schedule. Seven, consider earning additional income. Additional income. Okay, so I'm going through all of that. I may have to have some more inflow. I'm trying to deal with my outgo, but I need some more inflow. So I may have to earn additional income. You see the caution there about family and, and so on? But I think I can say this without, uh, without him being too embarrassed since he's not here. David, Lisa's husband, David Johns. The reason David's not here is because David is on one of his three jobs in Washington, D.C. But I bring that up because I want to give, particularly we men, the possibilities. David works three jobs so that Lisa can be home with the kids. And I have tremendous, great respect for that. David does his major work as uh, planning trips for schools. So he's in Washington, D.C. right now with that. And he also does uh, works three nights a week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I think, at the airport, working you know afternoons to like midnight or so, driving a shuttle bus at the airport. And he'll do that on Saturday night and then come into church here and do his best to stay awake. And then I put him out completely with my sermon. But, but he does that. He's also making money off of these golf tournament things that he's doing for us for free. So did I miss any jobs he's doing? Did I miss anything else? Yeah, probably. So, But the, let me give you one other example of that. I have pastor friends who, when their churches went through a difficult period financially, these pastors had paper routes. So they're out throwing papers at 4 in the morning. Going to the station, throwing them about 5 or 5.30. And then going and doing their work. And they would do that on Sunday mornings. I had a pastor friend who, I didn't get the paper, but he drove down my street. And would uh, be throwing papers for a period of time. Now, I'm hesitant to say that one because the deacons hear it and then they get ideas. So this, the paper-throwing thing is a last resort, okay, to our treasurer and the chairman of the deacons over there. But the point is there are a lot, you know, lots of ways, and lots of people have done it. And we're now entering an era of economic difficulty that many of us have never known in our lives. Some of you are old enough to remember where doing those kinds of things was just the way it was. But most of us have not grown up that way. And so we're having to change our mentality a bit to say these are the possibilities, these are the kinds of things that can and in some cases must be done in order to have additional income. Eight, 
consider a radical change in your lifestyle. Many people temporarily lower their cost of living to become debt-free. We've uh, had folks in our church, wisely I think, say, you know what, we can't afford, we can't afford this house. So, in light of the new realities, we're going to downsize the house. And um, they wouldn't mind me saying it, but uh, Wayne and Michelle did that a couple years ago, you may remember. They downsized their house in Southgate. They moved to a smaller house in, uh, in, in Allen Park. Got little ones, got the reality of tending to them and all of that, and so they wisely did that. And others are having to consider that as well. It's a, it's a wise thing to do. It's a change in our lifestyle. And then last, don't give up. Don't give up. And why would you be tempted to give up? Because of what I said at the beginning. It's big. And depending on how many debts you have, you can just look at it and just be exasperated and say, I'll, ne I'll never get there. I remind you, take it bit by bit, step by step, and then don't give up. Winston Churchill gave a commencement address, graduation address. Churchill was known for his long speeches. And so everybody had settled in for a long, eloquent Churchillian speech. He gets up and he says, never give up. Then he says, never, ever give up. And then he says, never, ever, ever give up. And then he sits down. That's his speech. Never give up. Never, ever. Never, ever, ever give up. And it's wise advice. Galatians chapter 6. Let us not get tired of doing what's right. For after a while we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. You know, I think I'm going to botch this statistic, but you guys have heard the, uh, the phrase that, you know, success is like 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. It's 99% just hard work, just discipline, just going at it day in and day out, piece by piece, bit by bit. Four critical issues in our remaining time. I cannot tell you all how proud I am of myself on the time management on this whole thing. Don't give up now. <laughs> Four critical issues. Page 79. How do you decide which debt to pay off first? Well, this is where praying for wisdom, okay? Asking the Lord to help you apply the information at hand in the best possible way to the circumstances at hand. How do you decide which debt to pay off first? Well, a couple of factors. One is the size of the debts and the interest rate that's, that's charged. Now, notice the advice here. Focus on paying off the smallest debt first. That is wise advice. If you say, I'm going to focus on paying my mortgage off first, okay? What, honey? We only got 28 years to go. Then we'll get around to that $150 pennies bill. How about reversing that and taking some of the small ones? So you got a $500 balance on some credit card. Shoot for that one. Now that one's gone, and then in the paragraph, here's what it says. Here's the secret. 
take the money that you used to pay for that and now apply it to the next thing. It's fatal if you pay off the $500 thing, now you've got your extra 50 bucks a month or whatever it was, 30 bucks a month. You say, 30 bucks, I've been paying the minimum for 10 years. It's 10 bucks. But whatever it is, you take that amount that you are applying to that every month and you apply it to the next thing. Second, understand your credit score. Um, I don't know what my credit score is, I have to admit. I guess I'll look into it now. Um, so I'm just saying I'm no expert on credit scores. I just know there are such things, that everybody's got one. And uh, I guess I would find out if I went to get a loan and they said you've got a lousy credit score, then I guess I'd be looking into what a credit score is. Um, but many of you may know what a credit score is. It's explained here. But you've got the credit agencies that keep track of how reliable or unreliable we are in paying. So they got them listed there, I think. Yeah, Equifax, Experian, TransUnion, and others. Now the credit score is based upon a credit report. So those agencies keep a report. They got a file on you. They got a file every time you're late with something. And it's on a report. So Big Brother knows every time you're past the 15th of the month, and that hurts your ultimate credit score. So it's on the score is based upon a report. So the one thing you can do is you can get a free copy of the report, and that's what that website is that's listed there. So every 12 months you can get a free copy of the report, and then based upon the report you can look into finding out what your score is. It tells you what a good score is, what a bad score is, and of course, not paying results in a lower score if you don't pay on time. And the lower your score, the next time you, if you borrow something, your interest rate that they give you is going to be based on your score. If you've got a bad score, if they're willing to give you money, they're going to give you a high interest rate because you're a big risk because they're not sure if you're going to pay. So this credit score thing is quite important to us. Now, conversely, as you start to pay stuff off, your credit score gets better, and in turn, your interest rates can get better. So the more you pay off one of these, you use that money to pay off something else, that improves your credit score. You can now use that with some of the other creditors you have to say, my credit score went up from 310. That would be really bad if you had 310. It says it's between 300 and 700, 30850. My credit score went from 310, you know, to, to, to 710. And so that puts you in line for some more favorable terms for the stuff that you still owe. Here's a third critical issue. Escape the auto debt trap. The auto debt trap. Now here's the idea there. You know, when you drive uh, your new car off the lot, it depreciates like within the first 10 minutes of you driving off the lot. No, I mean, really. So, but see, this is a bad one because we have people who sell new cars in our church and I like for them to make a lot of money as well. So I was talking to Harley about this before, <laughs> before we get started. But here's the good news. Harley sells used cars too. And you do need to think about that. That's why they have it here. A car is a depreciating asset. Your house used to be an appreciating asset. 
But a house and a car are different in that, in that sense. A car depreciates. Unless you're buying some vintage Corvette or something like that that you're going to store in your, in your garage, if it's your car that you're going to drive around, when you drive it off the lot, it depreciates, and it depreciates a ton, thousands of dollars as soon as you drive it off the, off the lot. If you were to take the new car, two days later say, I want to turn it back in, it's only got 50 miles on it, you still would get thousands of dollars less for that car than what you paid for it when you drove it off two days earlier. Okay? That's just a fact. So they give some suggestions, good, wise suggestions, for what to do with the car situation. And then last but not least, page 80, co-signing. Co-signing. These are critical issues. If you're going to get out of debt, you can't take on somebody else's debt. So don't co-sign. And many a parent um, has made that mistake. Notice what the second paragraph says there. A study by the FTC found that 50% of those who co-signed ended up making the payments. Half ended up making the payments. You know, so better to teach your kid some of these financial principles that we've been learning before they get into it instead of you co-signing co-signing for it. And notice what the Bible says in Proverbs 17. It's poor judgment to countersign or co-sign another's note to become responsible for his, his debts. Now, the people who wrote the material tell you in the middle of page 80, you can do this, and they use a number of scriptures out of context to make that point. So, but I agree with the point that they made in bold. You can do this, even if the passages don't teach that. The Bible does teach that you can do what God has called you to do. That God will grant you the wisdom to put into practice the principles that he has given in his word and that have been embodied in these pages. You can do it. Take it one step at a time, bit by bit. Pray that God will grant you wisdom. Change your mentality toward debt. Go through the schedules that are in the back of the lesson here to lay out what you're spending on. What you, uh, what you owe on, what your debts are. Identify which ones you're going to go at first. Take the smallest ones first. If you can get the combination of smallest and highest interest rate, that's the one you want to go after right away. And then bit by bit, step by step, reduce your debt. Okay? All right. Let's pray. It is dead on noon, but I don't like to brag. So let's... Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time to be together with brothers and sisters to sing praise to you, learn of you. Thank you, Lord, for this hour in particular as we've been able to think about this issue of indebtedness and the trap that has become for so many of us. Our, our, our country and our world, but particularly our country, is awash, awash, being swept away in debt. And so, Lord, we thank you that you put us in this circumstance because you bring all circumstances our way for ultimately good purpose, purposes to, to mature us. And so help us to see it that way. And help us to do what your word says in James chapter 1 then. See these trials, see these difficulties as means designed by you to make us mature. And so, Lord, we ask you for wisdom then to that end. Help us to use the trial that you have given to us as individuals, to our church, to our country, 
And help us to use it for the ends for which you're allowing it to happen, to make us more mature. Thank you for the lessons that we're learning through this. Thank you for the lessons that we've learned in these sessions together. Lord, grant us the discipline, the motivation, the desire to put these into practice so that we can be free, free from debt and freer, therefore, to serve you as we desire. Go with us this week, Lord. Grant us safety, a good time at our picnic tomorrow, and bring us back safely next Lord's Day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.